Well, it's great to be with you on this Palm Sunday. My name is Bob Kedlisek. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater Church and uh, just getting ready for Easter next Sunday. Just a couple things for you to think about. I know Ryan did a good job walking through the different things, but um, park far, sit close, okay? So just think about what would... What do you most want on Easter? You most want to pull in and be like, oh my goodness, there's a spot right in the front row of the parking lot. And then you also want to walk into here and find a spot in the back row. So, so especially at the 930 service, it's going to be packed. Come and sit in the front with all of these, you know, godly people in the front this morning. I promise I will spit 50% less on Easter Sunday morning. Um, probably, maybe. Um, Anyway, so, and, and then parking and all that. And, and honestly, that, that's something I think I, I'd like to encourage you to do every Sunday um, is to sit close. And if you're not sitting close, then at least go to like the center of the aisle because nobody wants to climb over you to get to the center, center seat. So anyway, but we are in this series called um, In Tune. And uh, tuning means to adjust for more precise effectiveness, Right. So if you're out of tune, it just doesn't sound good, or, or the, the, the television doesn't come in if it's not tuned in. But I brought with me here a, a tuning fork that uh, Mrs. Benici from the Montrose High School allowed me to, to borrow. It's a lot smaller than I expected. Um, but it is 440 hertz, for musicians means A. It always hits the note A. So we'll try to hear you. Oh, no. You hear that? It's very quiet. I was expecting it to be louder, but um, it's, it's always A. One of the wonderful things, the bat, drawback of tuning forks, it only plays one note. Okay, so you're never going to have this in a, in a band, you know, like, you know, it's just one note wonder there. So, um, although I could play the tuning fork, I could do that. But yeah, with the best of them, yeah. So, but, but the, the good thing about a tuning fork is it always plays one note, and it's exactly the same every single time. So I did this this morning with our piano, and actually it was yesterday. I played this A, and I hit the A on our piano at home that hasn't been tuned in years. It was not the same thing. So which was wrong? The piano was wrong, obviously, yeah. So this is where... We need to tune our lives and our hearts to God because he is the standard, right? I'm not the standard. You're not the standard. Our world and culture comes up with a different standard every other week, you know, and, and that's not the way it is. God is the standard. The God who is revealed in his word is the standard for us to know how, how we are in tune, how we can have our lives adjusted for the most precise effectiveness. And so we've been talking about in this three-week series about three ways to tune our hearts to God. The first week was about fasting. This is a very not well-known or not well-practiced discipline in a lot of Christian churches, although globally in most of the churches of other countries, this is a very common practice. So the last three Mondays, we have challenged and encouraged all of you to, to not eat on Monday. And so tomorrow is the last one to not eat on Monday. Some of you, you can't do that because of your, your health, diabetes, different things. You might struggle with anorexia. Please don't do it if that's the case. But, but for most of us, many of us, 
We can do that. And, and why do we give up food on a Monday or, or fast something else, give up something else? Because it reminds us that our greatest need is God. It's not food. It's not social media. It's not whatever, whatever else you're giving up. It's God. Our greatest need is God. And, and prayer fills the void that fasting creates. And so this last Monday, as a staff, all of our, our pastors are not eating. Most of our staff are not eating. And so instead of eating lunch together as a staff, which we usually do on Mondays, we prayed together. And, and whenever during the day I think of, you know, I'm hungry, I think of why I'm hungry, and then I think I'm, I'm hungry because I'm fasting to pray about that God will do an amazing work in our church on Easter Sunday, and not just in our church, but in our community and in our nation and in this world, that there would be a revival, an awakening, a, a spiritual renewal among God's people that will spread because this is the hope of the world. And so that's why I'm not eating. And every time I'm hungry, I think of that. And so this is a way to help tune our heart and our lives to God, fasting. And then last week, an even more important discipline, worship. Worship isn't just singing. It is putting God in the center of our lives and taking him out of the background where he looks so small and putting him right in the foreground where, where we can see and, and think about how truly great he is. And, and it, you know what? It shrinks our problems. Worship is a problem for our problems because when we see how big God is, it puts everything in perspective. And so that's, that's one of the ways we can tune our heart to God. And today we're going to talk about one that's just as important, as important as worship, more important than fasting, and in some way more foundational than even worship. To tune our heart to God, we need confession because in order to truly worship God, we need to confess and repent of our sin. And so we're, we're going to talk about that and walk through that today. Um, Palm Sunday, though, was the Sunday that Jesus was celebrated as a king coming into Jerusalem, a political and military king, they thought. But in reality, as Jessica said, he, was, he, he was a, 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 wanted to be king of our lives and savior to save us from our sins. And a lot was revealed that week of Palm Sunday. It was the most important week in human history, and that is not an exaggeration. And on Palm Sunday, they celebrated as, as king. Thursday or Friday, traditionally people believe Friday, a lot of things in the text, people believe Jesus was crucified on Thursday, but he was crucified, and then the following Sunday rose from the dead. That week of time, a lot of things were revealed. It was revealed that the religious leaders in Jerusalem, by and large, were evil, wicked people who hated God, even though they said they loved him. But it was revealed that that wasn't the case. Pontius Pilate, it was revealed that he was a pragmatic politician who didn't really believe in truth. His words to Jesus, what is truth? And he didn't stay for an answer. You know, it was revealed who Jesus was, right? Not just the king of the Jews, but the savior of the world in that week. Mary her heart was revealed that week when she broke open an alabaster jar of perfume, anointed Jesus' feet with that expensive perfume, and mopped his feet with her hair. What an incredible act of humility and love. Mary's heart was revealed that week. So much was Judas that he cared more about money than he cared about God. 
and he betrayed Jesus Christ. His heart was revealed. A lot was revealed that week. Let me, let me ask you this question. What, what do you do when you find out the truth about someone? When you find out the truth about a Judas, maybe it's bad. Maybe when you find out the truth about a Mary, that's good. You know, about a month ago or so, it might have been longer. And I'm not sure if he's here. He usually sits over. I think he is here. I'm going to embarrass him. Hopefully he'll come back. About a month ago, I, I did the funeral service, maybe two months now, for a man by the name of Maverick Rafferty, 26 years old, passed away severe physical and mental handicaps. And in the lead up to that, I found out the truth about Shannon Rafferty. I saw him interact with his mom and his sister and others in the family, and I saw incredible gentleness and strength and compassion. And I thought, that's why Karis married you. <laughs> Didn't know that. Didn't see that before. You know, yeah. And, you know, so it, when that happens, it's great when you find out the truth about someone, and, it, and it's awesome, but, but we all know many times it goes the other way. And when you find the truth out about someone, this may not be exhaustive, but there are three potential things that could happen. Number one, it might create distance. You know, now that I know what kind of person you are, now that you've maybe hurt me or I know who you are, hey, can we get together on Friday? No, Friday looks busy. How about Saturday? Saturday's busy too. In fact, this whole month, this whole month's pretty busy. Maybe later. Or, you know, let's take a break from dating. You know, let's, let's just give each other some space, you know, and, and, and so when you find the truth out about someone, if it's negative, it can create distance. And then even farther, it can create disassociation. I don't ever want you to hear you mention her name again. She is dead to me. I'm not talking about him. We are not talking about him. I'm not seeing him. That is it. Right? Disassociation. Or even more, shame and outrage. I'm going to let everyone I know know who you really are and what you did. And I'm going to make you hurt the way you hurt me. And I, you know, so you find the truth out about someone. Distance, disassociation, outrage, shame. These are things that we often do as human beings. Here's the harder question is, what if someone found the truth out about you? Maybe it's someone literally no one knows. And they found the truth out this afternoon. Maybe it's someone you don't want anyone to know and it's somehow broadcasted and, and someone new knows now what, what you've done. What does that do with our relationship with God? Because He knows the truth about every single one of us David, 3,000 years ago, said this. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. That's where the worst me is. You know, I've done some bad things, but I've thought awful stuff. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. So, so. God knows you. 
He knows the good and he knows all the bad. And what does that do with our relationship with him? Distance, disassociation, outrage, shame. Is God out to shame you? And really the answer to this question, how does God respond to my sin, is it depends. It depends on what you do with it. David in another psalm says this, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You see, unrepentant sin creates a barrier in my connection with God. This is why confession and repentance is so important in our spiritual lives. And even though we don't have a confession hour, all right, where you all line up and I sit in some funny box and you come and you tell me everything you've done, we all need to confess our sin to God. And in addition to that, Matthew 5, 48 says, you also need to confess your sin to the one that you've wronged, if, if you've wronged a human being. Because it creates a barrier, not only in our relationships, but in our relationship with God. There's a story that, it's an old story. I don't even know if it's a true story, but it's a story. I like stories. So two, this is decades ago. So these two ladies went on a day trip to Mexico. So they lived in Texas, drove over the border to Mexico, did some shopping. I don't know what ladies do in Mexico on day trips, but th whatever they did. And then on their way back, it was raining and it was a, a pretty chilly day. I don't know, January or whatever. And, and they looked outside on their way back and on the side of the road, they saw two chinchillas, soggy and wet and cold. And this is a chinchilla, if you didn't know what they are. They are among the cutest creatures on earth and taste delicious. So, no, I, I've never... Never had a chinchilla. I get in trouble. All right, so, so they saw these cute, you know, wet, logged creatures on the side of the road. Maybe they weren't so cute because they were all wet and all that. So they, she, the ladies pick these two up, and the one's driving. The other puts them on her lap, and she dries them off with her clothing, you know, and she's just trying to, and, and the, the, the one is, is deathly cold, and so she's like, you know, cuddling it and warming it with her body. They get to the border, and of course, animals and borders don't work good, right? So the border guard is like, what are you doing with those creatures? And the, the lady's like, oh, well, we saw these chinchillas on the side of the road, and we thought we would, you know, like rescue them, and aren't, don't you think they're so cute? And, and the man says, senora, those are not chinchillas. Those are rats. <laughs> and she's cuddling this rat, <laughs> So if you are cuddling a wild rat, I may still love you, but there's a barrier, you know, and, and there's no hugs and there's no kisses or anything like that. If you're my kid or whatever, you know, like I still love you just as much, but you got to get rid of that rat because it's a barrier in our relationship. And I think so many of us, we take that sin and we're like, oh, isn't it cute? Mine's littler than yours. You know what? Mine, mine would never hurt. It, it's not hurting anyone, right? Mine's under control. You know, it's, 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 I, I can handle this. I can handle it. It's, and God is looking at it and he's saying, no. He's saying that is a barrier and that is, that is a wild animal and maybe it's a rabid rat and it is going to bite you eventually and it's going to hurt other relationships in your life and I cannot draw near to you. 
if you're going to cuddle up with your sin. And so we got we to gotta get rid of that. I have another example here. It's, it's spring, so people are getting the hoses out, right? Um, starting to, you know, and, and so in my, at my place, I have a, a water shut off, so I have to go turn it back on, and then, and then you just screw the hose into the, you know, nozzle there, and you turn it on, and then you go, and then, then you have the, you know, the, the nozzle for the hose, right, and you turn that on. What if everything is on, right, so the shutoff valve is on, the, whatever, the faucet is on, the hose nozzle is on, and no water is coming out, or it's just trickling out. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, it means something like this has happened, right? Somewhere along the line. There's a kink in the hose, and you have to go back along. You have to do an inspection, right? You have to inspect that hose and look along the line and say, oh, there it is, and straighten it out. There's a reason why, why evil is sometimes called crooked, right? Because, because when, when it's straight, you get that, that life-giving water. But, but when we're crooked, it, it cuts it off. And some, some of you here today, you don't have the peace of God in your life. You don't have the power of God in your life. You don't have the presence of God in your life in as full a way as, as you could have it because you're, you're cherishing sin. There's a kink in the line. And so what I want to help us do for the next couple minutes is really to examine, to go, go along the, the, the hose of our life. Ken Foster and I were just calling each other hosers um, <laughs> a little bit before, if you're old enough, you've heard that term. But you need to look along the hose of your life to see, is, is there an area... That, that, needs, that I need to confess. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, God is faithful. He is faithful and just and will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know how many of you, do, you got this when you came in. I don't know if we can turn the lights up even a little bit more, especially in the back. Um, this, this sheet, bef- before we get into this, I want to say this is not about like, did I ever do any of these things, okay? I'm pretty sure I did all of these sins, all right? So this is not about that. This is, am I guilty of these things this week? Or is there sin on this list that right now I do not have right with God? In fact, I plan to continue to do this sin. And maybe you don't need this sheet at all. Maybe you immediately comes to your mind, yeah, this there is sin in my life. I know what it is, and I haven't dealt with it, and I don't want to repent from it. I want to keep doing it. I'm cuddling up to that rat. If that's the case, I want to give you an opportunity right now to really come before God and say, and confess it, and repent, and turn away. And it's going to be on the screen if you're watching online. There's a link for it in the, in the chat. But we're just going to take about two minutes right now of, of of silence, relative silence, for you to to get your heart right with God, for you to do a a life inspection with God. And if this sheet helps with that, then that's great. If you don't even need that sheet, then that's great as well. Let's do that before the Lord right now.
In Psalm 139, David invites God to do an inspection of his life and of his heart. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's the great thing about that barrier that sin creates in our lives. God's love breaks down the barrier that sin creates. For God so loved the world, a sin-soaked world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so in just a moment, we're going to remember Jesus' death for us on the cross. And I don't know if you can kind of unpeel some of that thin film on the top of that communion cup. But I have a table up here with some bread on it and a cup really just to to remind us of of Jesus' last meal that he had with his disciples before he was arrested, the night before he was crucified. A lot of times this is the picture we have in mind. It's by da Vinci 525 plus years ago. That's not what it would have looked like. That's a very Italian. It, It would have been more like this. Bible says that while he reclined, Jesus reclined at the table, they used to lie down to eat and they'd prop themselves up on one one elbow and eat like this, lying on couches. This is how Jesus could wash his disciples' feet so easily because it would be behind them on the couch. We don't have tables and couches like that anymore, so I just have this regular table up here. And I have two chairs, one's for Jesus and one's for you. Because Jesus is inviting you to come to him, to the table. And he knows who you are. And he knows what you've done. He knows what you're going to do, just like with the disciples. He knew Peter was going to deny him. But he said, Peter, I want you to come to this table. And remember my love for you that is going to bridge that barrier of your sin. And he invited Thomas to the table, even though he knew Thomas was going to not have faith and and doubt him. And he invited James and John to the table, even though they had just gotten in an argument and had enlisted their mom to try to manipulate Jesus into saying, you're going to be number one and two in my kingdom. Right after he said, I'm going to die, they're like, okay, you're going to die, whatever. Um, Can I be number one in the kingdom? Like what? What kind of arrogance? And yet, and yet Jesus invites them to the table because his love was going to bridge that gap, that, that barrier that their sin was creating in their lives. So Jesus is inviting you to the table today, but you can't come with your rat. The rat is not invited. And if you want to continue to cherish that sin in your heart, and if you are planning when we're done later today, later this week, to go back to that sin, to go back to your vomit, to go back to the mud and act like a pig again, then you can't can't come to the table. Jesus doesn't want rats at the table. He just wants you. Even though he knows you, he loves you anyway. I want to encourage you to do that right now, to come to the table with Jesus. This isn't literally his body, but it helps us remember his body 
that was pierced by the crown of thorns, that was nailed to the cross, that was whipped for us. This is his body, which is for you. Jesus said, do this, take and eat. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of him. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. Let's remember Jesus. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your blood that was poured out for us to pay for our sins, your blood that was poured out from, from the crown of thorns on your head, the blood that came out of the nails in your hands and in your feet. God, your blood that spilled out from your side when the spear was thrust in. God, we thank you for your body, for your blood, for, for all the suffering you went through, the greatest of which was when you took our sin upon you and you cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, you, you paid for our hell. Jesus paid our hell on the cross. Help us never to, to try to get it back. Lord, may we be a rat-free man, a rat-free woman, a rat-free child this week, that we would realize that what you offer is so much better, that we wouldn't cuddle up to sin, but that we would confess it and renounce it and find mercy and love in your hands and in your arms. God, we just thank you so much for Jesus in, his, in whose name we pray, amen.